The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. The word of God speaks to us. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is God's word to us. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here at Frontline Church in Edmond. And uh, real quick, before we uh, just dig into the the verse that Kristen read so well for us, um, as we know, Frontline Shawnee was hit with a tornado this past week. And one of our congregations, Frontline is one church, five congregations, and the second Frontline congregation ever planted in 2010 is in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And... um, the city is, it's, it's this weird combination as I talk to leaders out there of uh, like ultimately in really good spirits, thankful that no one was uh, seriously hurt in these storms. And yet, like it's pretty gnarly. The, the damage is serious, particularly the campus of OBU, which is really important to our church. Half the attenders of Frontline, Sun, uh, Frontline Shawnee on a Sunday are OBU students. Um, the, the OBU campus was hit really hard. West Shawnee was hit really hard and our church we would be very proud of them out there has done an amazing job of loving one another serving one another cleaning up yards and cooking meals and opening homes for places to stay all that to say I want to encourage us if you want to physically get out there as a family or community group and serve or give towards relief efforts there's a local nonprofit called Community Renewal that we as a church have partnered with for a long time that's there to help those in need in Shawnee and uh, you know, by the grace of God I think like half of the staff of Community Renewal are members out there at Frontline Shawnee but they're leading some organizational efforts for relief and cleanup and so if you want to find out ways to serve or ways to give, you can go to communityrenewal.org. Sound good? Okay. Let me pray for you. You pray for me as we jump into this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of being able to be together. And we thank you for the gift of 1 Corinthians. And I pray simply what, what our prayer is week in and week out, that you would help us, Spirit of God, understand God's word. You would give us soft hearts, open eyes, open ears to, to see, receive, to hear all that you have for us. And I simply pray that you would help me help my friends. That I would point to you and help us all celebrate the wonder of the gospel. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. God's people said, amen. I don't know if you are like me, but I am a big fan of drafts, drafts, as in like sports drafts. Like this week is the NFL draft, which I'm like moderately interested in. Later this summer, I think in June, um, NBA draft, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty invested in. Early this fall is going to be the frontline staff team fantasy football draft, which is seriously important to me. 
I'm the defending champion. My team name is the unpardonable win. Uh, think about it. And, uh, and I unseated Brandon High, who was the champ last year, who in pride named his team back to back. And uh, he's not familiar with that proverb, evidently, about what comes after pride. Um, And so I love, I love a good draft. And so I just want you to imagine that maybe next week you come to church or maybe like sometime in mid-August you come to church when community groups are starting back up and we don't have worship with song like we normally do and we don't have um, intercessory prayer and we don't have the preaching of the word that we all sit under and we don't even have the Lord's table. We have draft Sunday. And the community group leaders are huddled in tables and they have multiple phones open and there's notebooks and there's interviews going on and there are assessments. And to, to kind of sh- shake the etch sketch of community group and clear the slate, we're gonna have a brand new way to get into a community group and the group leaders are gonna draft us. This is sounding really appealing to some of you. And uh, I just wanna say we're gonna have prayer up here at the end, right? That's a dark, it's kind of, if I'm honest, that kind of sounds fun to me too, but that's a dark place in my heart because this isn't good. But just imagine that happens and the draft is based on spiritual gifts. The evaluation that we do as a church is, is there's, there's an assessment and, and a, a review of spiritual gifts. And those who have spiritual gifts that seem important or impressive or the really kind of uh, impactful ones, well, they have a high draft value. Let's say they're round one church members. And then there's others who maybe have gifts that aren't so valued in the culture and they're, you know, round two draft members. And there's a culture where there's a separation, not just between people who don't believe in Jesus or have faith in Jesus and people who do, but within the church, There's a divide in spirituality and it's a divide that's based on gifts. And, you know, this sounds like a really bad idea. It is a really bad idea. And yet I use it as an illustration because it's actually not that far off from the reality of how the church in Corinth viewed itself. And I do this, many of us do this if we're familiar with the Bible, if we're familiar with the church. And rightly so, in some ways, we look back to the early church and we look back to the early church and put it on a pedestal and say, man, I want to be more like the early church. We desire to be more like the early church. And in some ways, we should feel that way. Like, I want to see thousands of people come to faith. I want to see genuine sacrificial generosity at work. I want to see spirit-empowered life and ministry But just like a cursory reading of the New Testament, it's like it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. And we see that no place more clearly than 1 Corinthians, as we've seen as we've spent whatever, 27 weeks or something studying this letter to this church, we see dysfunction and brokenness and immaturity and rebellion. And we've seen over these past several months that this church is just a mess in so many ways. This church was planted 20, 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul plants this church. It's growing. People are being saved. God, the Spirit, is obviously at work in power, but some things are seriously wrong. And the kind of base note that plays under all of the brokenness of all the specific, crazy, bad situations that are happening in the church in Corinth, the base note that plays, the common denominator, is always division. 
They're divided, if you remember where we began so many weeks ago, they're divided over leadership. <laughs> Some people in this church are saying like, I'm, I'm team Paul. And others are saying, I'm team Apollos. And some are like, I'm team Peter. Have you ever listened to his podcast? It's amazing. They call him Apostle Pete and they've never even met him. They, you know, they're all in on this guy. And some of them are really spiritual. They're like, I'm, I'm team Jesus. He is my pastor. Right? They're dividing over sexual sin. Serious sexual sin is going unaddressed in the name of grace. They're dividing over disagreements the, the, the division is, is so strong, they can't even work it out among the family of God. They're going to the courts in the city of Corinth and suing one another. Pastor Kale preached several weeks ago and held up the, the, the grossest division in many ways. They're divided at the Lord's table between rich and poor, the haves and the have-nots. And as they gather together for the Lord's supper, as the church has gathered to worship that morning, the rich are having a feast, the poor are going with nothing, the rich are getting drunk at the Lord's table. It's gross division. And Paul, we've seen all throughout this letter, he's patiently, he's pastorally addressing all these issues. And here we come to this kind of new movement, this new passage that Paul begins to address in this letter misunderstandings and misuses of spiritual gifts in this church. And, and the kind of context of this church is twofold in the sense that some people in love for this church went to Paul and tattled on them, right? And they were like, hey, it's crazy in Corinth. You've got to address it. And yet at the same time, the church also proactively reached out to Paul and wrote him a letter and asked about things that they knew were broken in the church. And, and the gifts are one of those issues that this church has written to Paul and asked him and, and asked him a question, something along the lines of, hey, Paul, give us direction. We're divided and we're disordered. We know that in some way we're, we're arguing about misunderstanding and misusing the gifts of the Spirit as we engage them as the church. And what follows here is this passage that's going to go through chapter 12, 13, and 14, where Paul begins to answer this question. He gives direction to the church, empowered by the Spirit of God in Scripture, giving direction as to how a church should engage and walk in the gifts of the Spirit. And the first thing that Paul wants us to see, knew that this church in Corinth needed to see, is the real spirituality. The real spirituality confesses Jesus is Lord. He says in verse two, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols when you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul, when he, he, he opens this passage of the letter up, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, commentators, theologians are going to point out in a helpful way that that term, spiritual gifts, now concerning spiritual gifts, it's not merely re referring to the gifts themselves, but it's a broader phrase that kind of uh, actually also covers or describes the people operating in spiritual gifts. We might read that as Paul saying, hey, now concerning spiritual persons or now concerning spiritual people. And the reason Paul begins this section in this way is back to that draft 
craft illustration. This church was a church that loved God the Spirit. That's great. They operated in spiritual gifts. That's great. They even operated in more of the, for lack of a better term, miraculous or demonstrative gifts of the Spirit, like tongues or prophecy or healing or wisdom. And that's, that's all great. But what wasn't great is there was a culture of division that was a reality in the city of Corinth that had even saturated and seeped in and, and spoiled the ways in which they were walking in the spiritual gifts. And those who had certain gifts that seemed more impressive, more miraculous, those people put themselves and as a church as a whole were put upon a pedestal and viewed as first round draft picks or varsity or the truly spiritual people. And then other people who had spiritual gifts that didn't seem as important, maybe like helping or administration, God forbid, or encouragement or teaching or even leading. It was like, well, those aren't flashy people in the church in Corinth thought. Those don't seem that impressive. And so imagine you're a part of this church and you think, man, the only thing I seem to be used by God to do is serve other people. What good is that? My, my gift isn't that impressive. I just seem to be able to like explain the Bible in a way somebody understands. Like, what does that matter? Or man, when it seems like something in the church is chaotic and disordered, I can step in with, with my gifting and bring order to chaos. But But... Does that really matter? And so you have some people up on pedestals because they have certain gifts. Other people feeling like they aren't of value because they have other gifts. And there's a real division, which of course is always the perennial issue in Corinth. And some of us grew up in churches like this. Or some of us at least have been exposed to churches like this. Hey, do you speak in tongues? Well, no, no, I don't. Well, you don't really have the Holy Spirit, is what we've heard. Or do you operate in the gift of prophecy? No, and I, that has never really happened in my life yet. Well, I wish you had a gift that really was helpful then, is the message we hear. And Paul is, it's important for us to catch this. Paul is leading into this, this portion of teaching about how a church can walk in the spiritual gifts. But the first thing he wants us to grasp is what truly makes us really spiritual. And what makes somebody spiritual isn't one gift they have or not another. It doesn't come down to any gift that somebody has. What makes somebody truly spiritual is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we proclaim with our life. We proclaim with our mouth. We proclaim with our ministry that Jesus is Lord. That's the true essence of true spirituality. If we can honestly confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is our King, we are truly spiritual. You're a spiritual person. There's one type of Christian. There aren't first rounders or second rounders or varsity or junior varsity. We all have run from God. We've all rebelled against God. We're all weak. We're all sinful. We're all, we're all broken. And our story, if we're in Christ, is all the same, that God has loved us. His love has been made known to us in the person and the work of Jesus. We've been pursued by God. Our hearts have been opened to that love of God by the power of the Spirit, and we've received his grace, and it's changed our life. Gordon Fee puts it this way in his commentary, the first epistle to the Corinthians. 
The presence of the spirit and power and gifts make it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criterion of the spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be legitimate expressions of the spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. So what this means for us is that in a room this size, if there were two people in a room, it doesn't matter, that one person in that room would be feeling at times or all the time a conviction, or let me put it this way, actually an accusation that's not of the Lord that says, hey, I'm not very spiritual. I'm not gifted in ways like people who are of a part of the church who are important or significant are gifted I'm not, I struggle to read my Bible or my prayer life isn't what I wish it would be. And the reality is I'm just not a spiritual person. And Paul's saying, no, 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 listen, look. Does your life proclaim Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Well, you're spiritual. You're part of the family of God. You have eternal spiritual life in Christ Jesus. The father loves you like he loves his son. That's the first thing Paul wants to say on the topic of gifts. Importantly, that's the first thing, but it's not the last thing. And lots of people stop there, but Paul doesn't stop there. Look at the second thing we need to see. Spiritual gifts display God's wonder in unity and diversity. Spiritual gifts, they display the very wonder of God in unity and diversity. Look at this carefully, picking up in verse four. Paul writes, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit There are a variety of service, varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, if if you read that a few times, if you haven't picked up on it yet, something would strike you, which is Paul is, is holding up, referring to all three persons of our triune God in those verses. He says, varieties of gifts, the same spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Varieties of services at the same Lord, Christ Jesus King. Varieties of activities, but the same God, our heavenly Father. God, one God who has eternally existed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God, yet in in three persons, that one God, full and in complete harmony and unity, yet distinct in, in personhood, all ultimately for our good. Paul is holding up the triune God at work to supply the church with everything we need, and yet he's holding up God as an example of the mystery and the powerful diversity and unity of the Trinity, and, and that is shining a light into actually something beautiful about the church the diversity and unity within God's church. There's a wide range of diversity within the church. Not every Christian shares the same gifting or talents or passions, experience, wisdom. And yet, although we're profoundly different from one another in a way that would bring disunity anywhere else in the church of God under the rule of Christ, those differences don't tear us apart, but they build something beautiful in unity in the midst of diversity. Paul's going to go on to use the illustration in the coming verses of a body, one body with different members, all operating for the common good that complement one another. 
So that means that there are a couple things that we tend to do which are really unhealthy when it comes to the gifts. One is gift pride, and we look at the spiritual gifts we may have, and we puff ourselves up, which is totally missing the point. And also gift envy, where we look at gifts that other people have in relation to our gift, and we do the wicked thing of comparison, and that totally misses the point. And don't miss what Paul's saying here, right? Everyone, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. That There is not a Christian who isn't given spiritual gifts for the common good. That leads us to the third thing we need to see. The most important thing really is that spiritual gifts are the presence of the Spirit himself. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is foundational to understanding the rest of of these chapters that we're gonna be in for these coming weeks. This is a crucial verse to understand everything Paul has to say over these next chapters. The gift of the Spirit, our manifestation of God the Spirit himself in our midst. Sam Storms, who wrote such a helpful book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, This probably will not be the last time Pastor Storm is quoted in the coming weeks as we talk about spiritual gifts, but he wrote this. This is Paul's way of saying that the Spirit is himself made manifest or visibly evident in our midst whenever the gifts are in use. Spiritual gifts are the presence of the Spirit himself coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expressions in the way we do ministry. Listen to this. Gifts are God going public among his people. So we ought not think of the gifts of the Spirit as separate from God the Spirit himself. We might think of the gifts of the Spirit a little bit like Sunday or uh, Christmas morning and, and God the Holy Spirit is, is like Santa's helper, just like stacks of gifts handing them out, you know? Oh, this one has Anna's name on it, right? <laughs> and this one has Steve's name on it. He's just handing out gifts. That's not the best way to think about it. Not this one for you and this one for you. That's not the way the gifts work. The reality is anytime we experience somebody walking in spiritual gifts, God himself is making himself known and manifest in the midst of the church. One way that I've thought about this, this is is helpful for my own heart. With all the horrible things that are on the internet and the giant waste of time that it is, right? If if, if it even is just this one thing, it might redeem all of the World Wide Web, which are videos of dads who have been deployed coming back to surprise their children. If you're having a bad day, there are thousands of those and it never gets old, right? It never gets old. It's so fun. It's like, it's always like nightly news too. They've just shoveled us like 55 minutes of bad news and they're like, and this video of a dad coming back, you know, just to like cheer us up a little bit. I love those videos. And, and why I bring it up in this context, right? Is it's, it's always usually around an event, the child's birthday, a a Christmas morning, Valentine's Day at school. And dad, unbeknownst to them, surprises them and shows up. And dad, who's back from overseas or or back from deployment, he always has a gift, a Christmas present, a bouquet of flowers. But is that child ever primarily excited about the gift? No, no. They're thrilled that their dad is with them. 
that's, at least in some way, although imperfect, a helpful illustration for spiritual gifts. The gift is the very presence of the giver himself, ultimately. Which is why it's extra silly to do what the Corinthian church is doing, which is dividing in pride or insecurity over the gifts, because it's not about the person that the gift is going through in the first place. It's about God manifesting himself for the common good. It's, it's about Jesus. He's the giver. He's the gift. It's about the Spirit. He's the giver. He's the gift. It's about the generous heart of the Father. It's about God manifesting himself in our midst for our good. If you've ever prayed for somebody who is sick and and God healed them, God showed up in a tangible way in that moment. If you've ever moved towards somebody who is having a hard time and it wasn't just niceness or Southern hospitality as one of my pastor friends have said, but it's like this profound, formidable encouragement where you feel like it's even the words of God himself speaking truth into their life and you're saying things that they need to hear just in that moment, a deep spiritual encouragement. That's God himself showing up in that moment for their good. And so we all might be in different places regarding the gifts, but if this is true, this is what I want us to just process. To resist or reject the gifts in a real way then isn't just resisting or rejecting kind of a take it or leave it philosophy of ministry that some churches might have or others might not or some unimportant doctrine, to resist spiritual gifts, if this is true, is to resist God himself and his desire to show up in our midst. Through the gifts, God the Spirit wants to manifest his very presence for our good. That's good news for the spiritual gifts are gifts of God's grace. In verse four, Paul writes, now there are varieties of gifts And that word gift here in the Greek is charisma. The plural is charismata. It's where we get the word charismatic. That's a biblical word. And that word literally means grace gift, an undeserved gift, right? And so if you were like me sometimes in my past, or certainly in the ways that this church in Corinth thought, you think, well, maybe the spiritual gifts are reserved for Christians who have reached this level right? Of elite spirituality, of elite maturity. They've earned something that they can be trusted with. And so the spirit works in and through their life. But Paul's saying that these are grace gifts. They're for mature Christians, yes, but they're also for immature Christians. They're for Christians who feel spiritually vital, but they're also for the follower of Jesus who feels dry. They're for the person who's been following Christ for decades and the person who's been following Christ for a few hours, given freely, undeserved. See, they're not spiritual rewards. Paul isn't talking about spiritual rewards. Reward is something given in return for something done. It's earned, but it's a grace gift. The spiritual gifts are given freely to someone without payment. They're just that, they're gifts. And there's a few reasons why this matters. First, they aren't for the deserving, as we've talked about a little bit. We've been thinking at times in our life, each of us, I'm not the type of person God would really want to use. And if people really knew me, and God really does know me, I don't think he's going to want to work in and through my life. 
You read the Bible, and what becomes really clear is time and time again, that's exactly who God wants to use. He loves to move towards people who are broken, doubters, sinners, the weak, the messy, to use for his purposes, for our good. And yes, in his grace, he changes us and helps us grow. He doesn't leave us as we are. But our ability to participate in the Spirit's work in the church is not based on our goodness. It's based on the goodness of God. I hadn't really even thought about this until this week, but one of the things also that's the second thing that we need to see, and Anna, my wife, can relate to this, I know. One of the struggles I have when it comes to this topic of spiritual gifts is that some of the people in my life who have obviously been the most gifted are people that I've seen let me down the most. People who seem to be gifted in the spirit the most are people who ultimately um, weren't spiritually mature. And it's easy to think spiritual gifting equates with spiritual maturity. But remember, Paul's writing to this, this church in Corinth and they are not mature in any way and yet he's not withdrawing the gifts from them, which we'll get to. I've thought to myself many times, like spiritual gifts, I don't feel comfortable with this reality because I've seen really broken pastors and leaders walk in gifts and they've had some of the biggest moral failures or or display the worst leadership. And the truth is, like some of the godliest people in my life are people that are undeniably walking in the gifts of the Spirit, and yet they're also people that God have used historically in my life through them walking in the gifts of the Spirit who are now in jail. And, and I wrestle with that often, and yet if they're grace gifts, Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't use them in your life because they're so good. I use them in your life because I'm so good. And can't God draw straight lines with crooked sticks like we've all said before? Which leads me to the fourth thing I want us to see. Or excuse me, fifth thing. I've got too many points today. It's hard to keep track. We're getting close. Bear with me. Spiritual gifts are for the common good. Verse seven, each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Look, why does this all matter? Why should we study this? Why is this in scripture? Well, it's not for our identity. Our identity isn't found in gifts. It's found in Jesus. It's not for our platform. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about our ministry. It's about him. It's not about us getting credit. It's about giving Christ glory. It's his grace, his presence, his power working through real people to bless real people. The aim, the end game, the point of the gifts of the Spirit are to edify, build up the church for the common good. God's desire for our congregation is to be built up, strengthened, encouraged, so we can shine the light of the love of the good news into the dark world, right? God wants us to be healthy and strong and shining and holy so we can can reach out to and be a light into a city that's dying sick and dark. Which leads us to our final thing, six, Misuse doesn't justify rejection. How does Paul begin? Verse 12, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and if I were writing this, I would say, I want you to stop right away. Your spiritual gift card has been pulled. 
you are in spiritual timeout. You're in spiritual gift detention. But what does Paul say? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed, period. He's gonna go on in chapter 14, verse one, in a mind-blowing way to, to say to this church who's getting so much wrong regarding spiritual gifts, pursue love first and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And if we wrote this letter, we wouldn't write that, right? This church takes the cake in being messed up around spiritual gifts. No one is misunderstanding or misusing the gifts of the Spirit like Corinth. But Paul, when it comes to grace gifts, is gracious to this church. And he says, hey, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That, that phrase, earnest desire, in Greek, it's where we get our same word, zealous. It's a strong word. It means to strive after, strongly desire, to be jealous for, zealous for, to be jealous about, to, to passionately seek, to make much of. So Paul doesn't say, hey, stop focusing on gifts. Don't pursue the gifts. He just says, hey, you need to get training. You need to get mature. You need to get teaching. You need to grow in love. You need to know truth. And then you need to earnestly desire. You need to go after the gifts of the Spirit. And many of us have experienced misuse, misunderstanding as it relates to the gifts. And there have been seasons in my life, and I'm sure there are many here who are leery at best or just refusing or rejecting the gifts in reality. And I, I, those stories matter. And I'm sorry for ways that we've all been hurt or our faith has been bruised by people misusing and misunderstanding the gifts. But, but Paul is giving us direction here. And there's truth of God for us here. And he's saying, hey, just because something's being misused, don't reject it. It's been said before, but like the most common spiritual gift that's misused is teaching. And I don't know of anybody that said like, hey, teaching should stop. And we just don't think that way, at least I don't, about many other areas in our life when something good is presented in a bad way. If I get a bad steak served to me, I don't think like I'm never eating steak again, right? Or if I have, let's talk about this. If I have a bad experience with a leader, I don't become an anarchist and think all leadership is bad. I long then to have good leaders, whether it be in the church or in the world. Or probably the, the best illustration would be, hey, if I'm on the phone with somebody I love about, but the connection is bad, I don't then block their number and say, I don't want to talk to them again. <laughs> it's not their fault. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault if we've seen other people misuse or mishandle gifts. See, we need God's grace and power for our edification, for our common good. And so I just wanna share one story that I hope is a story of encouragement that comes from my life this week. And we could share a thousand stories. This happens really week in and week out in our church, but here's just one thing that happened to me this week that I hope is an encouragement because I'm not like the captain of spiritual gifts not particularly great at many of them. But we had a pastor's gathering this week at Frontline downtown. And there were like 85 pastors from like 30 plus churches from like three continents. It was profound and beautiful. And there was one pastor who I'd met once before for like five minutes. We were like acquaintances. We are acquaintances at best. His name is Devin and Devin pastors a church in Los Angeles. 
and Rex, Pastor Rex and I were sitting down together just talking and Devin plopped down in a seat by us. You could just tell he wasn't in a great place. And so I asked him, how are you doing? And he's, he talked about how he had landed that afternoon, the afternoon before, and for the first time in his life as the plane was descending from Los Angeles into Oklahoma City, he experienced a migraine headache for the first time in his life. He's like in his late 30s. And then he said he prayed and then it went away, but then he woke up and it was not back as bad as it had been, but it was, it was present. It's like a horseshoe around his head. He had this pounding headache. And in the midst of sharing his headache, he was just sharing of the stress of leading his church. It had planted about six years ago. God had really used it. Then COVID hit, which was particularly crazy in LA, I hear. And the church had shrunk down to just a few families. Now it had grown back and it was bigger than it had ever been come 2023. But in, in, in the midst of that upheaval, now he's the only elder at that church, which is not a good plan. And it's not his plan. He really wants to raise up elders and he's really struggling and he was alone and he kept on saying the phrase, I feel like I'm in a pressure cooker. And so Rex and I just simply prayed for him and we began to pray that his headache would go away. But, and it wasn't like I heard the audible voice of God or like there was like some like, you've got mail notification in my heart. I just, I just simply got the picture as we prayed for him of, of somebody outside on a basketball court playing hoops by themselves. And it had nothing to do with anything we had talked about. And I wanted to keep on praying and not bring that up. <laughs> I just kind of felt compelled to make it part of my prayer. So as I prayed for Devin, I just said, hey, Heavenly Father, as we're praying for Devin, I just get a picture of somebody playing basketball and they're alone and they don't have a referee there or somebody they're playing against. No one's keeping score. No one's even watching, but they're just doing it for the love of the game. And I maybe just sense that you're inviting Devin to lead in his ministry um, for the sake of the passion of serving you and loving the church. And I just hear you saying you're not keeping score. And then he begins to weep and says, hey, um, I used to, about three days a week, take my lunch and go out to the playground by myself and shoot hoops. And I felt like that was a waste of time and I wasn't working hard enough. And so I stopped taking that hour a few times a week to shoot hoops because I felt like there was too much ministry to do in the church. And I really miss it, but I felt guilty doing it. And so we were able to just kind of process and say, hey, I think you know about that and it blessed you. And I think your heavenly father knows about that. And he actually knows you well enough that that's maybe the only thing that you care about that nobody else cares about, just that, that few hours a week of shooting hoops. And you shouldn't feel guilty about that, but that was just a gift of God to rest in the midst of a really heavy season. And like, God is big enough to meet you on the basketball court. And I could have taken him to First Timothy and, and read a bunch of passages about young pastors, and, and that's good. And we sit under the authority of scripture. And yet, just like a dad bringing a gift to a child back from deployment, like Devin wasn't thrilled about the fact that he was getting an invitation to go shoot hoops again a few times a week during lunch. He was thrilled about the fact that he was reminded that God knew him in the depth of who he was, was present with him and loved him. That's the common good. That's the church being edified. That pastor who's alone on paper went back to his church not alone, 
because he's never been alone. He knows that God's with him and he's faithful and he's going to raise up elders and he's not by himself, but Jesus is building his church. So this is the one final encouragement as we wrap up. We as a congregation, and I love this, we have a reputation of being a hospitable congregation. When people come and visit for the first time, more times than not, and people from other frontline congregations come and they visit us on Sunday, they, they, all, they don't go away saying, David, your preaching was amazing, right? They go away saying, man, your people are so friendly and loving and they love each other and they, they love guests really well. I love that. We are a hospitable church. That matters, it's important. But all the more, we should be concerned about whether or not we're welcoming and hospitable to God the Spirit in our faith, in our expectancy, in our desire, that he would work in us and through us, that he would manifest himself for the common good in our midst. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer is is just a prayer that Jesus charges us to pray in a way, um, your kingdom come, your will be done here in our congregation, in our lives. We want your desires, your plans for this church. And we, in the midst of praying that, know that you're a gracious God. You give us gifts that we don't deserve and you meet us where we're at. And so I know that some people in this room as we enter into conversations about the spiritual gifts are thrilled and excited and some are really leery and hesitant, but you know exactly where we are And I pray, Spirit of God, you would meet us and help us grow and help us trust that we wouldn't be afraid, but we would trust the goodness of our Heavenly Father and we would look at your word that we would know wisdom and truth. And we would celebrate the beauty of the the wonder of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is alive. He has sent the Spirit. We live in the age of the Spirit. And you're working in and through your church, Spirit of God. So work in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.